Do we live in a rape culture? Serious topic today. Welcome to episode 115 of the Scottish Liberty Podcast. I hope you all had a very Merry Christmas and are looking forward to a happy new year. Tam is off celebrating the birth of his Lord, Jesus Christ. Um, so I'm doing this one flying solo today. I wanted to talk about the idea of rape culture because I feel like I've got a unique perspective on this in terms of people in the libertarian movement, at least because uh, as some of you know, I'm a therapist, I'm a counsellor, and I have had clients who've not only been um, raped or molested, I've had victims of paedophilia, but have had some of the cliches, that the tropes, I hate to say cliche, because I don't want to lighten the issue, uh, around, for example, um, I had a client who went to Bahrain and was someone was inappropriate with her sexually, and when she went and told her friends about it, um, they doubted her story. They um, said that because that person knew details about her body, then she must be making it up. Um, in other cases, two instances, one um, here, and one abroad, I had instances of women who were taken through the court system um, encouraged to press charges against a perpetrator and they were basically uh, the defence suggested that they were loose or Horish slots, it was a traumatic experience to go through the court system. Now, um, I realise that uh, there's a prosecution process and uh, I'm not, I don't know what the answer for that is because obviously you need to find out whether people are telling the truth or whether they're lying. So I'm not pushing any solution. I'm just saying that these are some of the things that would happen that would make some people think that perhaps we do live in a rape culture. Now, interestingly, that's not my point of view. I don't believe that we live in a in a rape culture, and I'm going to tell you about why that is. And why is this important? Well, we're going to say, as we go along, we're going to talk about why it's important. But I think it would be fair to start by saying something that I think most of us acknowledge, which is, if you want to cure something, uh, whether it's a social malady or a disease, first you have to accurately diagnose what that malady is and what causes it. And so let's say that if we want less rape, then we need to accurately diagnose what causes rape. So let's start with what, what does rape culture mean? Okay, let's see if I can share screens with you now. Booyah, into infinity. Right, this is Wikipedia on rape culture. Uh, rape is a sociological concept for a setting in which rape is pervasive and normalized due to societal attitudes about gender and sexuality, okay? So, but the thing is, the interesting thing about this definition is most people in this society believe that rape is abnormal rather than normal. And what's more, those who advocate the idea that we live in a rape culture think that rape is far more pervasive 
than people think it is. So you hear these claims, and we're going to talk about the, the facts of these claims that say one in four or one in five women are raped. Now, if people think that it's a lot less than that, and they'd be shocked and appalled to find out, supposing that were true, that one in four or one in five people are raped, raped clearly it's not normal to them clearly they don't think oh yeah that's fine you know it's just normal there seems to be a contradiction between these two statements one is that um that rape is normalized and the other one is that um that people think it's less pervasive than it is um so so um there seems to be a contradiction now there's some people who are like more radical uh, feminists or you, you might not want to call them that. You probably, you guys probably don't mind, but people who are not familiar with the show that are coming into this from a from a different perspective certainly won't like the idea that um, certainly might not want to be associated with the most extreme forms uh, or views associated with feminism sometimes. Um, but Mike still call themselves feminists. I'm talking about the lay people, right? Okay, so there's some of people that believe that our culture is defined by rape, and we'll go as far as to say that. Um, this book, Against Our Will, Susan Brown Miller, in this book, she suggests that all men are complicit in rape because all men benefit from patriarchy. So that's a little bit of leap. Now, sometimes when we say patriarchy they'll throw in other things like white male culture and capitalism of course but the, the the point is that the main tool of oppression is sexual fear the fear of being raped is used to control women now given that most people who use the term rape culture probably wouldn't go as far as to say all that um they still believe that we live in a rape culture. So what do what do they actually believe? What do they actually believe? And I think this one um, captures it more. Behaviors commonly associated with rape culture include victim blaming, slut shaming, sexual objectification, trivializing rape, denial of widespread rape, refusing to acknowledge the harm caused by sexual violence or some combination of these. It's been used to describe and explain behavior within social groups, including prison rape and in conflict areas where war rape is used as psychological warfare. Entire societies have been alleged to be rape cultures. Now, what I guess I want to say about this is it's so broad. So we're including places where they send a bunch of soldiers out and say, rape all the women in that, that village, which happens or has happened in the past, sadly enough. And they are associating that with slut shaming, say, which, by the way, is mainly conducted by women. It's women who, may, in the majority, have a problem with other women being promiscuous. And that's just, um, you know, the same way that... Uh, well, we don't need to get into the sociology of that, but it's it's about it's about sexual competition. So if someone's giving it away easily, then oh, she's a slut, she's a bitch, she's this. It's um, uh, but but okay. So there, no, I'm not saying that men never slut shame. I'm just saying in the men, 
you know. Uh, there's plenty of lonely men who'd be quite happy. Yeah, even the sluts aren't into. So anyway, I, I don't mean to engage in rape culture by trivializing rape, but here, okay, denial of widespread rape, that's something we're going to come to. Now, embedded in that in the, is the presumption that rape is widespread. I don't know how many, how much it has to be done to be considered widespread. I think one rape is one too many. But, you know, objectification, what does that mean? It's so vague, right? So even things like slut shaming and sexual objectification and things like that, they don't contribute to a culture where rape is more prevalent. Um, so, uh, well, you know, if anything, slut shaming is uh, making a hostile environment for sex to happen. So I just don't know if you can put the idea that people would be sent out, soldiers would be sent out and used to, to rape enemies in the same category as these kinds of as these kinds of things. I mean, I don't want, again, to make triviality, but, you know, sexual objectification is something that's often found highly desirable to people by, pe by people who they're very attracted to. Now, wh what's the alternative hypothesis? This is important. So I took as my starting point the fact that RAIN, R-A-I-N-N, which is the biggest and most active anti-rape and incest organization in America, and they say that rape is a criminal issue rather than a cultural one. They released a document saying that rape culture, the rape culture narrative is counterproductive in their efforts to tackling causes and instances of victimization. Okay, they're seeing this rape culture na narrative is detrimental. So I'm going to quote them here. In the last few years, there has been an unfortunate trend towards blaming rape culture for the extensive problem of sexual violence on campuses. While it's helpful to point out the systemic barriers to addressing the problem, it is important to not lose sight of a simple fact. Rape is caused not by cultural factors, but by the conscious decisions of a small percentage of the community to commit a violent crime. I repeat the last of that. Rape is caused not by cultural factors, but by the conscious decisions of a small percentage of the community to commit a violent crime. Uh, perhaps I should have started with this. Um, so this is the letter sent to the task force from Reigns President Scott Berkowitz and Vice President for Public Policy, Rebecca O'Connor. And I consider Rain to be a credible authority on this issue. So my understanding, based on my research, is that most rapists have seven or more victims. So get that, that's a lot, right? At least. Therefore, rape's a criminal issue. It's not like, most guys are rapists or think that rapists, that rape is normal or good. It's the same small percentage of people raping lots of people, at least seven. Okay. So it's not a cultural issue. The majority of men aren't potential rapists. And here's the thing, right? To say otherwise is actually to pathologize all men. I know we're not allowed to think of men as victims, right? Are we? 
okay? I'm going to talk about why this is bad for women as well. But what does this do for the relationship between the sexes? The answer is not very much, you know, obviously, right? So this is creating a atmosphere of hostility between the genders, as you can see all over YouTube. And the reason why I'm making this video is I'd like to take an approach that's more kind of conciliatory, I guess. You always get called an MRA or something like that for talking about this or anything like this. Of course, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm just an individualist. I'm an in, I believe in individual rights. All people should be entitled to the same rights. All individuals should be entitled to the same rights. Then you don't need to think about men's rights or women's rights. It's absurd. Rape is still regarded as the most serious crime or one of the most serious crimes that a person can commit short of murder, okay? Or, you know, obviously multiple genocide or something like that. So we're not in culture to see rape as acceptable. Okay, now um, I should add to this, as you probably know, right, there's plenty of people who'd be only too happy to agree with the statement that all men are potential rapists, right? The 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 feminists that the, the, the mainstream people say are not real feminists, right? But there's plenty of them and they certainly seem to get into the newspapers. And, I, and the problem is I don't see tons and tons of feminists in newspapers saying that these people demean feminism. This is the problem. I don't see, this is why I hate that, well, they're not real feminists. I just, if that's true, then where are the journalists who are saying this, this stuff demeans feminism? There's not many of them, right? So they write articles about this and, um, and, and yeah, you've heard the arrival of these slogans like, how about teaching men not to rape? And this is a problem because it's like, all we need is a nice little PowerPoint presentation and then men will stop being rapists. No. Or as though if you take an actual potential rapist and set them down and explain to them that rape is wrong, try and teach them not to rape, they're going to go, oh, right, that's so true, yeah. Yeah, I was going to rape someone, but do you know what? Now that you've told me that, like, on second thought, I'm going to pass. Like, I'm not going to rape someone anymore. Thank you for teaching me not to rape, right? If we want to arrive at policies that are actually going to reduce the number of rapes, then we'll, we're going to have to do better than this. And this is why having accurate information and statistics, we're going to talk about accurate information and statistics in a minute, um, is important because the policies that are being pushed are based on this rape culture narrative when Rain says that rape is a cultural is not a cultural phenomenon, but a criminal phenomenon. So. So this is going to be ineffective, right? We need to target the right people. We need to target the right demographics. Um, and most rapists start in their late, late teens and they have many victims. So once I was walking with a feminist friend of mine and she said something to me like, Anthony, one in four women are raped. And, you know, if that was true, that would certainly be a cause for, for alarm. Um, there's, it's possible that it once was true. I mean, um, there, there's 
proverbs both in India and China that go, for a girl to be a virgin at 10 years old, she must have neither brothers nor cousin nor father. And we know in antiquity, ancient Greece, it was basically normal for young boys to be um, sodomized by older men, right? And if it was one in four, would that be grounds for thinking we live in a rape culture, right? I'd already seen, you can find it, um, Christina Hoff Summers did uh, these two videos, um, Sexual Assault Myths Part 1, Factual Feminist, uh, Rape Culture Panic is Not the Answer, Factual Feminist, where she actually, the, 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 I couldn't find a source for a figure of one in four. The closest figure you'll come across is a study that says one in five college women are sexually assaulted, and this claim was repeated over and over again by journalists, journalists and political leaders. The thing is, it's bullshit. It's not true. Thankfully, thankfully it's not true. We should be thankful it's not true. Anyone who actually looks at the study finds that its myth methodology was completely dodgy. The researchers considered participants to be raped even when they themselves said, I was not raped. Um, something like three quarters of the women classified as raped in the study said that they weren't. It was based on a poorly constructed phone survey where they didn't even ask the women surveyed if they were sexually assaulted. But they did ask them questions like, have you ever had sex while drunk? And if they had drugs, um, have you ever had uh, sex and regretted it the next day and if they answered yes to some of these questions they were saying well then you you know you were raped then or they weren't telling them that they were putting them down in the survey as rape right now I see clients have been the victim of rape sexual assault even pedophilia and I hope you'll agree with me that while having consensual sex with someone after a drink or two after too many drinks even, might be in bad taste, it's hardly equated with forced penetration such as the people that I've seen have experienced at the hands of their friends or rapists. It's usually someone you know, usually someone that a woman knows that does it, not someone they don't know. So um, I, I heard recently someone was asked, uh, someone was in a debate, it might have been Christina Hoff Summers, and so the person she was debating with said that having sex with someone while they're intoxicated is rape. That means she was raped in her honeymoon. Most people are. Uh, she asked, does that mean two people can rape each other? And the other person said yes. And it's like, oh, shit. That's the, that's the ideology that some people are coming from. But I think... It trivializes rape. It, that's uh, the, uh, one of the things they described as ra rape culture is trivializing rape. I think equating a couple of drinks uh, or, or, or even too much to drink, okay? Uh, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about if someone's passed out uh, or, or they really are so drunk that uh, consent is highly dubious, but, you know, uh, irresponsible drunken sex. Equating that to rape is to trivialize rape. So <clears throat> other studies such as the National Crime Victimization Survey do not include instances of alcohol and get much lower figures. Um, now here is the actual figure 
um, the the closest that we can find, obviously, it's it's difficult. And this is in one of those Christina Hoff Summers videos. The actual figure of women raped on campuses appears to be one in fifty three. Now, I'm sure you'll agree with me that that's still too much, right? One in fifty three women are raped on campus, plausibly. That's still too much. One in a million would still be too many. But the thing is, false statistics don't get anyone anywhere. Uh, and they're, they're probably causing a great deal of anxiety for people who believe them. And they undermine honest efforts to properly address issues of sexual violence. People should be, if that was true, if one in four or one in five women on campuses were raped, everyone should be telling their daughters, don't go to university. It's, it's fucked, you know? It's a fucked up environment where people are getting raped all the time. Think about it. Okay, let's go on to conviction rates. Now, here's more false statistics. You hear fi uh, figures as low as 5.7% of rapes end up in convictions, right? In fact, someone told me that it was 2%. This is just made up. This it's not true. Uh, well, it's not completely made up. Um, the five point seven percent figure is the it was quoted as the attrition rate. Now, for my sins, I'm not exactly sure what the attrition rate is. It turned out the uh, the attrition rate was twice that. You will be able to find out what it means in this uh, Guardian article that I'm about to show you. For those who are watching on YouTube, I'm going to quote it to you for you guys at home. So here we go. The conviction rate, the, this is from The Guardian, myths about rape, rape conviction rates, Amanda Bancroft, if you want to Google it. The conviction rate for rape is 58%. This bears repeating. The conviction rate for rape is 58%. So now here's the interesting thing. I'm perfectly willing to acknowledge that the figure might be too low. It's completely plausible. Well, it's probable, I would suggest that far more people who get accused of rape are guilty of it than 58%. At least it would be a long shot to say that 42% of women are lying. You know, some of them might be mistaken, but since most rape victims know the rapist, it's unlikely that they'd mistake them. The conviction rate for reportable crimes of all type is 57%. This is very important because that puts it in context it's very difficult to prove rape sadly now here's the thing right the liberal tradition holds that everyone is innocent until proven guilty and rape is extraordinarily difficult to prove so the, the bottom line is It would be hard to punish everyone that was guilty without casting a net that was too wide. And in order to do that, you basically have to abandon the principles of our justice system. So, you know, innocent until proven guilty, you're going to lock away people without evidence. There are people who are unstable who, knowing that you're casting a wide net, are going to be able, are going to be willing to more inclined to 
make accusations. Uh, I know that's heresy, but we're going to get we're going to get more into it. We're going to get more into the details uh, um, from the past on that. Now, here is the very mature headline, which I, I saved for you. Myths about rape conviction rates are putting people off going to the police. Amanda Bancroft, that's the name of the Guardian article. If you want to read more, I just want to pause the screen share for a second. I'll see if there's any comments. Some people are asking for Tam. Well, sorry, it's just me today. It's a problem when sex regrets get slumped together with actual rape. That's what says Shay Riggs. And that is true in some of these surveys where they offer the higher figures, they ask questions like, have you ever had sex and then regretted it the next day? If they said yes, without being told, they were put down as being raped or sexually assaulted. So repeating false rape statistics. See, this is the problem. This is why, and I, I guess I'd be very flattered if anyone who considered themselves to believe in rape culture or was a feminist of any description actually hung out to listen to this. And, you know, maybe you'll think that I'm a better person to talk about this stuff than some of the more aggressive people who consider themselves parts of the men's right movement are, or maybe not. And maybe maybe if someone came up with this issue, you'd, you'd pass this presentation on. I don't know. Um, maybe there's better presentations. Um, I just want to say, but, but the, the point is, right, the reason why there's so much pushback against feminism as a whole is these things, they're notorious for quoting false statistics. The 70s, the, as most of you probably know, the idea that women earn 77 cents for every dollar that men make, that, that statistic doesn't even account for the number of hours worked. That's how rigorous they were. They just averaged across men and women. They didn't even account for hours. Obviously, if you work more hours, you're going to earn more. That doesn't even include uh, years of experience. You might have the same job, but you might have been working there longer. So you might get paid more for that. Um, you might be willing to commute further. You might be willing to work overtime. And it's not linear. If you work overtime, a certain amount of hours overtime, you make way more than someone who works a few less hours. So there's more on that, that the Warren's Farrell book, Why Men Earn More, goes into about 24, 25. Right. Feminists have become absolutely notorious amongst thinking people on the internet for quoting false statistics. And the problem with this is if you're coming from the feminist perspective, Repeating false statistics doesn't only undermine the credibility of the rape culture narrative, but of all feminist positions. Be rigorous. Get your stats right. I do a show and I need to be in the loop about both sides of the argument. You know, J.S. Mill said, he who knows only his side of his argument knows little of that. And the problem is, we've got this culture of people in echo chambers. I could I could argue for left-wing positions better than most socialists can. I know those positions inside and out. Do they know our positions inside and out? It's important to get your stats right. Many people think it's okay to make false claims 
in support of a cause as long as the good the cause is good enough you know during the soviet union lefties in america did not like to face the facts about what was actually going on in the soviet union the cause is bigger i see the same with zionists uh, you can look at the comments on the interview we did with norman finkelstein they're not interested in in facts they're not interested in an argument they go out their way to avoid the facts in fact and uh, what else you know american conservatives are very good at ignoring the facts on foreign policy very good at it and they will just and i i remember when the wars in iraq and afghanistan were getting started being on online forums and presenting data and people would just make stuff up to discount what i was saying right so this is the call i don't know how to fix this because it seems to me like it's a certain kind of person who needs factual rigor like certain people need to know the facts and that's and even they they don't always have the right positions i know lord knows that i don't always have the right positions but i come pretty damn close to perfection okay so some people think it's okay to report false claims because the cause is important enough and you do have and you may have that going on sometimes if tam was here i'm sure he'd say oh they know they know the statistics are wrong but they just don't do it anyway he has a much less um charitable view of humanity than i have and he often thinks the worst of people when i speak to someone and they quote false statistics i just think that they don't care you know they're starting at, no it's not that they don't care i just think that they they're starting out ideological and they're not rigorous and it makes me doubt most of what they think and what they say because it looks like they're starting with a position and they're working backwards so you can say you can go and say stats that sound good and then come out with them and um obviously for anyone watching who was rip got i mean I can't express my sympathies strongly enough for that. Um, uh, <clears throat> the thing is, the personal, the, one of the problems is the personal and the political get really mixed up together with this. And I think some of the people who advocate this idea that we live in a rape culture, a culture that engenders rape, um, or that so many more women are getting raped than seem to be. Uh, I think it's like, well, I'm a psychologist, you know, there's a phenomenon in psychology called normalization, right? Which is, well, does what it says in the tin. Um, so it's a defense mechanism, like you've probably heard a projection where you say someone else is doing what you're doing or denial, that never happened to me. Um, and, and there, there's a bunch of these uh, psychological defense mechanisms. You can look them up. And one of them is normalization. That is to make it like what happened to you is just normal. And that's a way of dealing with it. And I think what is sometimes happening with women who've been sexually assaulted or raped, rather than face up, there, here's my armchair psychology, rather than face up to the trauma and process that as a personal experience, they're putting it out there. They've not actually processed the impact of, 
of the, the experiences that they have. And so they're putting out there and saying, oh my God, there's all these women being raped. It's so horrendous. What can we do about it? And um, actually it's the it's the imprint left by their own trauma. Now that's just armchair psychology. I can't prove that thesis, but it's just, um, it's just that, it's just a thesis. Okay, let's get into controversial territory here. Um, false rape accusations. They do happen, sadly enough, and it's, it's particularly heinous because there's been high profile instances of false rape allegations and quite apart, well, for, for women, they, they're like the other, like the other Guardian article said, um, myths about rape convictions are putting people off going to the police, right? If people believe that um, they're going to be thought to be lie liars, they're not going to want to go to the police, right? And that's completely not even to mention because we're not allowed to mention the impact of the on men ever, um, you know. Uh, so far as I can see, I mean, a lot of people say women, um, oh, uh, women say men should talk about their feelings more and that feminism is all about um, men not having to toughen up. But so far as I can see, there's nowhere on the internet that men could talk about their issues without being accused of being MREs. I, it just doesn't happen. If you talk about men's issues, then you're an MRE, right? So, which they hate. So on one hand, they're saying we should talk about their feelings. I'm not not all feminists are like that. What's that? N-A-F-A-L-T, NAFALT. Not all feminists are like that. E-FALT. Enough feminists are like that to put men off feminism and to put men off talking about issues and to, and, and to create a hostile environment. But you just go on YouTube and look it up look up victims of false accusations and see how without any conviction they can get thrown off their uni course and then when it's shown that their uh, that their accusation was wrong they can't get on just being being accused can make you lose your job alienated family suicide you can lose your kids all over false accusations right so it's bad for men but it's also bad for women as well uh, and I and I'm, I'm obliged to say it's bad for women as well in the current environment. Am I wrong? Is someone going to come over and tell me that we can have this conversation and I'm not allowed to say, oh, and it's bad for women as well? I don't believe that in the current climate, climate we are. There's a bunch of people who don't give a fuck and just say stuff like that anyway. I don't really want to be associated with them. Okay. Since most victims of rape are raped by someone they know, not a stranger, it's not likely that many women are mistaken about being raped or over who the rapist is. Since the 1970s, there's been a prevalent claim that only 2% of rape accusations are false. Um, one researcher decided to investigate the origin of that claim, and they found that it came from the same book, Against Our Will, just gonna bring up the cover. I don't know if there was any point in me doing this, but at least you got to hear me sing. Here we go. So 
one researcher decided to investigate the origin of the statistic, and it comes from this book, Against Our Will, from Susan Brown Miller, who quoted a judge's speech where the com commander of the New York City's rape analysis squad was quoted as saying this, 2% of women are raped. There's no data or report available, and at best the statistic is can't it's unverifiable, okay? There's no evidence to support the idea that only 2% of rape allegations are false. Another popular estimate comes from the 1996 FBI report, which reads, the unfounded rate of percentage of complaints, though uh, determined through investigation to be false, is higher for forcible rape than for any other indexable crime. 8% of forcible rape complaints in 1996 were unfounded. The average index for all crimes was 2%. Sorry if I quoted that poorly. The unfounded rate or percentage of complaints determined through investigation to be false is higher for forcible rape than for any other index crime. 8% of forcible rape complaints in 1996 were unfounded, while the average index for all crimes was 2% unfounded or otherwise. Um, unfounded or not false. Okay, however, the FBI estimates may still be too low. These stats are basically taken from Stefan Molyneux's video, The Truth About Rape Culture, rightly or wrongly. I'm concerned that Stefan Molyneux's tone is not conducive to introducing new people to these concepts. However, thinking that I can do better, I may have been very well being, being fallacious because I couldn't see people who, who believed in this uh, rape culture doctrine sitting through this presentation. So I might be mistaken in thinking that. Newsweek reported in 1993, a third of the DNA scans now routinely done in new rape investigations are non-matches. In other words, DNA samples from hair, semen, or blood found on victims didn't match the DNA of the su suspect. Again, it is impossible to establish how often the women lied or was mistaken. <clears throat> What is interesting, says Molyneux, is that in the 1960s, the FBI reported that 20% of rape reports were unfounded. A decade later, that number dropped to 15. By the late 1990s, it was below 10%. So as the feminist movement has grown, the number reported has changed, okay? Given how controversial it is to discuss the topic of false accusations, very few independent studies have been conducted to establish the percentage of women that lie about being raped. In 1990, Alan Dershowitz, lawyer and prominent scholar uh, of US law, was accused of sexual harassment for discussing in class the possibility of false rape allegations. Okay, so he discussed that it was possible he was accused of sexual harassment. And that is the culture. He later refused to give lectures on rape without videotaping them and remarked that legal experts in the field had just decided not to teach rape law rather than take the risk, okay? So researchers have learned that if they want to keep their jobs, they should stay away from the topic. Now, I was just going to see if I could actually make these bits that I'm going to read bigger because it's kind of spontaneous, but um, you might want to have a look. 
Researchers have learned that if they want to keep their jobs, they should stay away from the topic. The head of one research group in the 1970s noted, currently the two main identifiable adversaries involved in the false rape allegations controversy are the feminists and the police. The feminists are by far the most expressive and prominent on the is this issue. Some feminists take the position that the declaration of rape as false or unfounded largely means that the police do not believe the complainant, that is, the rape charges are real reflections of criminal assault, but the agents of the criminal justice system do not believe them. Some feminists virtually deny the existence of false rape accusations and believe the concept itself can constitutes discriminatory harassment towards women. On the other hand, police are prone to say the reason for not believing some complaints resides in the fact that the rapes never occurred. Okay, so that's what the the head of the research group he was conducting research and he's not making pulling this out of his ass right this is what or her it might have been a her this is what he was led to conclude by his interactions right since 1978 and 1987 the researchers investigated rape reports in a small metropolitan area with a population of 70,000 people over the course of nine years, they found that in 41% of rape cases, the complainant admitted that no rape had occurred and the accusation was false. The average age of women who made the false accusation was 22, and the majority came from lower socioeconomic and educational backgrounds. The research determined that the false charges were able to serve three major functions for the complainants, providing an alibi, a means of gaining revenge and a platform for seeking attention or sympathy. What is interest, also interesting is that in those nine years, there were only 109 rape accusations. Even if 45 out of 109 accusations were proven to be false, that doesn't necessarily mean that all the rest were true. However, if we assume that they were, the women in this town experienced on average seven actual rapes a year. Based on our previous calculations, that amounts to exaggerating, exaggerated 0.7% lifetime probability of being raped or 1.7% if we assume only 40% of rapes got reported. I should be fair by saying, you know, it's equally possible that a woman accuses someone of rape and then she's dragged through the court system and she goes this is too stressful and too too much of a hassle it didn't happen okay i personally i'm just i'm just presenting the stats okay i personally find it extremely implausible that 41 percent of rape cases are would be false accusations that sounds implausible to me uh, it's genuinely, right now, it's genuinely thought to be between 2 and 10%. You can see a three-minute video from Michelle Malkin on it. Not that I <laughs> recommend her as a source of media, but if you want to hear more. The researchers followed up this study with an examination of two large Midwestern state universities and found that 50% of rape allegations were false. Their report stated approximately one half, 53% of the false charges were verbalized as serving an alibi function. In every case, consensual sexual involvement led to problems whose solution seemed to be found in filing a rape charge, right? So people do it sometimes to get off the hook for something. 
the complainants motivate the complaints motivated by revenge about 44 percent were the same seemingly trivial and spiteful nature as those encountered by the city police agency these unanticipated but supportive parallel findings on university populations suggest that the com Implications and conflicts of heterosexual involvements are independent of educational level. In fact, we found nothing substantially different here from these cases. So, um, from these those cases encountered by the police agency. In the 1980s, researchers in the United States Air Force Special Studies Division examined 1,218 reports of rape that were made on Air Force bases through, throughout the world in the 1980 to 1984 period. Proven allegations due to overwhelming preponderance, damn, sorry, that's what you get when you try and do two things at once. Proven allegations due to overwhelming preponderance of evidence comprised 38% of, of reported rape, 460 allegations in total. Um, of the remaining cases, 212, 70% were deemed disproven. 17% were deemed disproven after the accuser convincingly admitted to lying about being raped. The researchers then investigated the 546 unresolved rape allegations, examining evidence and having the accuser submit to a polygraph test. In total, 27% of investigated accusers admitted to fabricating their accusations prior to taking the polygraph test or after failing it. If there was any doubt, the case was classified as proven. Ultimately, the study found that 45% of rape allegations were false, right? That's 45. Now, uh, as I said before, there haven't been studies done in a long time because it's just too, it's just too controversial. So why do people do it? Uh, we, we touched on it. Why do people do it? Despite a revenge, 20%. To compensate for feelings of guilt or shame, 20% thought she might be pregnant, 13. To conceal an affair, 12. To test husband's love, 9. Mental or emotional disorder, 9%. To avoid personal responsibility, 4%. Failure to pay or extortion, 4%. Thought she might have caught a venereal disease, 3%. Other, 6%. Accusers who was, this is from accusers who lied when they asked why they did it. And, you know, you can Google if you want to, there's a study on it, um, I, uh, I, if you want, want to find more about it. And um, if anyone asks me personally, I'll dig out the link for it. This isn't, I don't think these are from the same study. This is, again, from the Stefan Molyneux presentation. He might have got it from the same place or different. But from what I've seen, often what happens is a, a girl's in, um, worried about getting in trouble from her parents over something she shouldn't do, do and she and, and and it gets out of control and as you saw like the spider maybe someone lied about stuff to get her into bed very unsavory you shouldn't do it however saying you're a this or that or saying that you're interested in a relationship when you're not interested in a relationship or um, pretending 
you have a job you don't or are in a authoritative position or famous or god knows what other things men sometimes do say or do to get women into bed who um is not is unsavory but it's not the same as forcibly entering someone with your penis at the end of the day it's just not right um so prosecutor Joanna Spielborg wrote in 2003, falsely re reporting any crime is shameful. Falsely reporting a rape is especially heinous. The liar who files the false rape claim dishonors and makes life all the more difficult for the many true victims who file genuine rape claims because they have been terribly violated and seek justice for it. <clears throat> At the same time, and perhaps even more seriously, the false report begins to destroy the reputation and sometimes the life of the accused from the very moment it is made, a fact of which many accusers are keenly aware. Yes, because if you accept that people do it out of things like spite, then um, the reason why they do it is because they want to ruin someone's reputation. Um, Stephen McNamara says there was an issue about the criminal definition of rape, which meant that stats from earlier studies refused to register the rape of men. Okay, well, I'm not talking about the rape of men at the moment. Shea Riggs asks, are they denying that men could be victims too and that women could be perpetrators? I think usually they call rape by a woman of a man forced to penetrate. It does happen, and men are very unlike if you think that it's hard for women to come forward you know think of oh you push i mean i remember once when i was a a youngster i was at a music festival i wasn't raped but like um <laughs> you know some friends of mine held me down while a female friend went to put her hand in my underwear and i was meant to be willing to willing to have this happen to me regardless of uh, she didn't do it in the end because she she saw that I didn't want her to. But I think she felt offended or she felt hurt or slighted that I wouldn't want her hands in my pants. You know what I mean? And then you feel bad for making her feel unattractive. And um, men will be afraid to come forward because this is meant. Why, why wouldn't you like a girl's hand in your pants? I mean, what's wrong with you? You know, every guy would like that, surely. Or, you know, if someone at work is squeezing your butt or something like that, you know, the girl keeps on doing it because she fancies you. Or maybe she doesn't, you know. But um, or Anyway, these things happen. Uh, they probably happen more often to women, you know. But that doesn't mean that they don't happen to men, you know, being groped and things like that. Women uh, in the wrong kinds of bars. You can say, well, you shouldn't go to those kinds of bars. And that's also true. That's considered to be rape culture. You know, asking people not to take appropriate precautions is considered rape culture. I don't think that's fair. You know, here we have the rivalry between Rangers and Celtic, let's say the two football teams. If I went into a Celtic bar wearing a Rangers strip, it's not um, violent. It's not assault culture for you to say, don't do that, man. That's fucking stupid right it still means there are a bunch of assholes for beating me up and they should still be culpable under the law for doing it but it doesn't mean it's assault culture to to warn someone don't walk home that way people get mugged that way right that's not assault culture to warn someone 
against taking a route that may, might make you more likely to get assaulted. Okay. So the problem with um, false rape accusations, apart from the fact that they ruin men's lives, is that um, they make it look like there's more rapists than they are. They make a scary environment for people and they discredit real victims of rape. Um, Stephen McNamara says people who make false rape accusations are worse than actual rapists. Now I'm not going to play that game. No. Um, why does it matter? We 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 acknowledge that both are wrong. If someone um, does something wrong, then they should be punished appropriately for that. Now it's hard to punish false rape victims. Sorry, false uh, rape accusers, because that then endangers women who are actually raped. They might be scared to come forward in case they have to go to prison. So it's a complicated issue. I mean, I've heard people say, oh, you should get the same punishment. If you falsely accuse someone, you should get the same punishment. But I'm not really sure that's the that's the road to get go down. It's a complicated issue. You guys are going to have to tell me what to do about it. So let's talk about real rape culture. Yes, it does exist. One of my quotes from this. Um, there are places in the world right now where teenage boys are sent by tribal elders to attack neighboring villages and rape all the women there. There's, I was told by a woman who worked in um, shelter for women here in Scotland, it was in Edinburgh, um, uh, they were sometimes sent to rape them with bayonets or, or they raped them with bayonets rather than with their sexual organs because sometimes they might, and there are some instances of them being relatives, uh, relatives, and it's like, this is like, um, was defined by feminists as gender-based based violence on the boys, you know, sometimes they like to give us um, a fig leaf. I would consider that to be a rape culture. There's places where if a woman is raped, she can, she is considered to have disgraced her family and she'll be murdered for it. And I'd consider that to be a rape culture for sure. Uh, Davy Ballantyne, true as in the comments, his, his channel is Gorilla TV, Gorilla TV channel. He does interviews and things like that. He says Islam is a rape culture. Well, let's not paint a wide brush, but things like that do happen. Some places, um, I mentioned um, someone I, I, I counseled who went to um, an Arabic country and was invalidated um, when she told her mutual friends that her abuser had abused her. I think that's more prevalent in that culture than this culture. So another feminist friend, I quote her, there are parts of the world where men deliberately rape women to sully their reputation in their communities, so are ostracized and feel there is no option but to marry the rapist. Okay, if that's true, then that's a rape culture. Okay, given that in the UK, it's unanimously agreed that rape is one of the most despicable crimes that a person can commit, and anyone who thinks otherwise is considered to have something wrong with them. If you go out and you say, meh, it's just rape, most people will think there's something wrong with you. Okay? I'm not seeing this being a rape culture. Now, I'm open to being convinced. 
if you're of the other opinion and you actually sat through this presentation, well, by all means, I'm all ears. Please convince me. Now, here's something, let's, some surprising statistics for you. Who's raped more in America, men or women? <clears throat> Who's raped more, men or women? You can Google this claim. In 2008, it was estimated that 216,000 inmates were sexually assaulted while serving time according to the Department of Justice figures, okay? 216,000, that's compared to 90,479 rape cases out of prison. That's the US prison system is a rape culture. 216,000 inmates were sexually assaulted in 2008. That's 216,000 victims which is more than twice the number of women raped outside of prison. Something very important here, victims versus instances. Many of those 216,000 men will have been raped several times. So the actual number of sexual assaults on men are several times as many as the number on women because they're in prison getting raped over and over and over again. But we don't hear the people who talk about rape culture and it's because, talk about this, and the, the reason why is because it's part of an overall narrative which seeks to uh, pain men as oppressors and women as, uh, as victims. You know, feminist groups aren't keen to publicize the fact that more men get raped than women. And if you mention this to, to a to someone, nine times out of 10, their first reaction will be, well, those men, men are being raped by other men. So what? What's that got to do with that? Are they the same, are the, the, the rapists the same men as the ra rapees? Uh, is the are you just gonna take all of the victimizers and all of the victims and put them to, in the same group and say, well, they're all men, so, you know, fuck him. Do you know what I mean? Well, literally in this case. It's like, it's a ridiculous response because, you know, the same people, if you say the, majority, the majority of African-Americans who are murdered in the USA are murdered by other African-Americans. So what? You know, they'll, they'll either say that that's racist or it's immaterial. It still means that African-Americans are a disadvantaged group because they're raped more. Sorry, because they're murdered more far, far more than whites are by other blacks, mostly by other blacks. Don't get me wrong, cops kill too many black Americans, but mo the majority of black Americans who are killed are killed by other black Americans. So we don't lump them all together and say, well, it's all of their fault that they're getting raped because they're the same color as the rapist. This is the problem with collectivism. You lose focus. You have to individuate and say, well, you, there's two groups here. You know, there's victims and victimizers, and some might victimize people to avoid getting raped themselves. So, but if we bring men into the equation, we're automatically called or considered men's right activists. So, as I said, that idea is um, absurd. Individual rights, that will sort it out.
Okay, so I just want to point this out. The reason why I point out the fact that more men are raped than women is because it undermines the, because I don't think this rape culture narrative is really, even though some people who believe in it have good intentions, I think its origins are part of creating an overall culture that pits men, women against men by making them think of men as their oppressors. Um, men are bad, whites are bad, uh, everything about Western culture is bad, you know, we didn't create any great uh, philosophy or create create a system called capitalism that took everyone out of poverty or anything like that, do you know what I mean? Um, uh, all, all it is is colonialism, and don't get me wrong, colonialism did have a lot of evils, um, but to, to boil Western culture down to merely colonialism is to do it an injustice, okay? So it's not going to help stop rape if we consider this to be a rape culture. Rape is a criminal issue. Most rapists have at least seven victims and they start in their late teens. So does that mean that there should be no sociological approach? Um, is there no sociological approach that can help? I think there is, but it has to be on the individual level rather than um, at the level of the state. I, I just want to bring to your attention this article here, which I've been looking at for years. How to prevent violent criminal behavior in the next generation. One of the worst diseases that ever ravaged humanity was smallpox. There was a time where about one in five who became infected died, okay? So he's, but then what happened was they got an immunization against smallpox. And now we're gonna get into, into a debate with anti-vaxxers, okay? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, it's just an analogy, right? Now, what he says is, how can it be done? How can, how can we vaccinate against violent criminal behavior? And he says, we can answer this question by examining our present population and determining who's not present. We must ask, is there a common ingredient in the lives of those who don't become criminals and is also consistently absent from the lives of those who do become criminals? The answer is yes, there is this a key ingredient, this precious stuff that seems to be associated exclusively with people who've never become candidate for the penitentiary has been identified. And there's no reason that it cannot be introduced universally. When that is done, crime and violence will go the way of smallpox. He poses the question, who is not in prison? This is How to Prevent Violent Criminal Behavior in the Next Generation by Jordan Reak, the prison psychologist, 1995. And the answer is, the person whose closest caretakers used methods of infant care and child rearing that were gentle, patient, and loving is not in prison. The person who sensed from their earliest infancy that adults are the source of safety, security, and comfort is not in prison. The person who always felt wanted is not in prison. The person who is respected, encouraged to explore and inquire is not in prison. The person who grew up seeing family members and others treated and others treat each other with respect and honor each other's privacy and dignity is not in prison. The person who had ample exposure in childhood to people who used reasoning, not violence, to solve problems is not in prison. 
the person whose physical and emotional needs during infancy and childhood were met is not in prison. To summarize, the child who is reared in an intensive, supporting, non-violent family will never spend time behind bars. To the skeptical reader, I offer the following challenge. Visit any prison and try to identify just one incarcerated felon who was brought up in a household where harmonious interaction was the norm. You will not succeed. That is the opinion of the prison psychologist. Beaten and battered children are more likely to become adults who have inadequate control of their aggressive feelings, who therefore strike out mercilessly against children, spouses, friends, and at times, even other members of society. The violence inflicted on children by their closest relatives and caretakers has a long-lasting horrifying effect. This doesn't mean I hasten to add that everyone who gets beaten ends up in prison, but everyone who ends up in prison, almost all of them got beaten. So the quote continues, these children grow up with the idea that when another person's behavior is displeasing to them, violent acts against that person are appropriate ways to deal with the feelings of displeasure. In short, members of adult of each adult generation tend to reproduce in their interpersonal relationships the violence which they experienced in childhood. So given that I am pointing to cultural factors, does that mean that we live in a rape culture? No. It means we live in a bad parenting culture. 